This is The Ghoul's Guide to Santa Barbara. No respectable ghost would live in California. Is that just a factual statement? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or is it your movie quote? It's my movie quote for this week. <laughs> Yay. Uh, let's see. I'm going to go with uh, Casper. Oh, good one, but no. Wasn't <laughs> yeah, that on the East Coast? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I don't know. Okay. Uh, wait, let me think. California Ghosts. Is it the movie <laughs> Seven with Brad Pitt? <laughs> no. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't know why. I, I don't know. know. Okay. It's from the 1988 classic, <laughs> High Spirits. Do you remember that one? Yeah. Oh, I don't. So Peter O'Toole, like Steve Gutenberg, Beverly D'Angelo, I think Liam Neeson, Daryl Hannah. And so it's, um, I think it's in Scotland. I haven't seen it in a while. Um, I think it's set in Scotland and this man, Peter O'Toole, like inherits his family's castle. Uh And it's just like, um, it's, uh, uh, he's running out of money. And so it's like a hotel. Mm -hmm. And so he starts up this rumor that it's haunted and like, Ah. that's going to be his selling point for the, for the hotel. So Mm -hmm. like he has all of his staff, like putting on these ridiculous, (laughs) elaborate, like ghostly pranks, like, you know, a woman's like hanging from a tree and she's supposed to be a banshee, but yeah, you know, but then it turns out that the hotel is haunted. And so, so I was going to tell you how I got to this quote for this week. This is a movie that is on my list of movies. Okay, your top 100 my movies? top 100 plus. Yeah, we're going to put on the website. Yeah, we still need Liz's to do that. Liz's top 100 movies. All of my movies. But, um, but I, so I was reading this book last week called How to Sell a Haunted House by Grady Hendrix. And, and the book mentioned the, the stone tape theory of hauntings. And I was like, oh, what is this? Like, mm-hmm. let me go look this up. And so the stone tape theory is this idea that when traumatic events happen and like there's this heightened emotion, um, objects can absorb that and replay the emotion. And so like, that's what hauntings are. And so they're, so like the stones in these old buildings, like the castle in high spirits, the stones like absorb that energy and they just replay like that, that tragic event. And so like, that's basically what's happening in this movie. High spirits is like every night, you know, Liam Neeson is murdering Daryl Hannah like uh-huh. every night they're just like replaying it and until like the visitors to the hotel interrupt okay. the murder. And so like, that's kind of the premise of the movie. Um, so that's that, why I picked that this week. <laughs> another plug for BBC ghosts that yes. also happens, right? She jumps out the window every night, like, and can't that's help doing right. it. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Oh, and I was going to tell you because you are a, uh, a fan of English media, mm-hmm. as we know, um, the BBC, there's a, a movie from like 1976 called the stone tape or the stone tapes or something like that. Oh yeah. But it's basically like these, uh, researchers go to some like old castle in England and they, um, and like they're, it's getting refurbished and they, all of the workers like won't go in this one room that's original to the house because this, because the, the stones have absorbed the energy oh, wow. and it's haunted. Yeah. So oh. one for you to look out for. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Also, Shout out to Beverly D'Angelo, who is awesome. I love her, and I feel like she got such the short end of the stick in the vacation movies because they always made such a big deal about how hot, uh, <laughs> what is it, Cheryl Teagues? Or, no, Christy wait, Brinkley. Christy Brinkley was. <laughs> and I was like, dude, your wife is smoking Dude, hot. Beverly D'Angelo, like, yes. I love her. Yeah. yeah. So Chevy Chase, uh, <laughs> yeah. you don't need to have that wandering eye. 
But it was never, you know. Cheating is never about attractiveness. (laughs) I know. I just like, it's that thing where they take a, like, they try to make out like, oh, this woman's the dumpy mom when she's Uh really like, she's smoking hot. Yeah. Agree. But I feel like they're, like, that was only in the first one real where it's like, really? And they're driving, right? Yeah. I feel like their my, relationship was pretty solid. My dad was such a big Chevy Chase fan, and uh-huh. we loved like that. The vacation movies were a big part of our family, and I always was like, I just feel bad that she gets the short end of the stick in those movies. But she's I feel great. like they they, were, they kept it together. Yeah, they were no. a solid family. Yeah, <laughs> the Griswolds. Yeah. <laughs> this is the Ghoul's Guide to Santa Barbara, and I'm Jen. I'm Summers. I'm Liz. And today's episode, Summers is going to tell us about Temperance Town, Lompoc's anti-alcohol roots. I am. So I'm going to take us partway up the Santa Barbara County coast to Lompoc again, because I love it so much. Hi, let's eat. Yes. Hi, let's eat. (laughs) And specifically, I'm going to tell you about Lompoc's beginnings as a booze-free zone or Temperance Town. Lompoc backstory to start. Lompoc is the third largest of Santa Barbara County's eight cities. Wow. This year, there's 42,000 people living there, but the population is getting smaller every year by one percent. Really? I feel like more people are moving up there. Just because the it's cost just, of... You, nowhere on the Pacific Coast is affordable, you know? So, yeah. like, I just think, yeah, it's more affordable than Santa Barbara, but it's not affordable. Right. Yeah, I guess yeah. maybe for every person who moves up to Lompoc out of Santa Barbara, three people move from Lompoc yeah. to some other state right, that's right, more yeah. affordable. You can't get to Lompoc on the US 101 that runs through Santa Barbara County. You have to intentionally want to go there and turn off towards the west on State Route 246, or just kind of tootle down the California coast on State Route 1. I really wanted to get the word tootle in there. <laughs> Humans have lived in the Lompoc region for tens of thousands of years. One article I found said 35,000 years. And the name Lompoc comes from a Chumash word, which I apologize for my pronunciation, but I believe it's just Lompo, L-O-M-P-O, okay. apostrophe, which means stagnant water. Oh, interesting. Right? So, like, mm. right away we're getting into the general vibe of Lompoc, oh. <laughs> you know, as a little bit of a forgotten backwater and kind of the redheaded stepchild of oh, the Santa Barbara, Barbara County cities. <laughs> Um, The first colonial settlement in Lompoc was a Spanish mission, La Purissima Mission, which popped up in 1787. And for context, because I, for some reason, in school, never really connected, like, our timeline here with, like, the one we were learning about in, you know, American history. Yeah. So that year over on the East Coast in Philadelphia, in the brand new United States of America, the Continental Congress was happening. So if that helps you with your internal historic timeline. What year? 1787. Okay. Second act of Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. That's a good way to think of it. Thank so you. So that, that 1787 is when the mission was established. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the first like colonial settlement. Got it. In Lom- the Lompoc Isn't that area. mission haunted? It is. And so I think probably one of you will do that one because it was so much research. So in 1837, the U.S. government bought the whole area which was called Rancho Lompoc from Mexico. And William Wells Hollister, famed guy we named streets after, (laughs) bought a bunch of the land in the Lompoc Valley area. And then in 1848, California became a U.S. state. Okay. And in 1874, the Lompoc Land Company bought William Hollister's Lompoc land, and they split it all up into plots of land settlers could buy. But there was a catch. If you bought one, you couldn't really do anything to do with alcohol. Oh, 
Okay. And it was written into the deeds. So that's right. Lompoc was a temperance colony. In what year? 1874. Okay. So, oh, so like prior to the kind of more well-known prohibition era. Yeah. Because that was like the 20s? Mm-hmm. Okay. 1920 to 1933. Okay. So temperance colony, I mean, that sounds unhinged, I guess, <laughs> a little bit in today's world. But keep in mind that sort of utopian communities were popping up all over the place back east at the time. Um, which brings us to your unwanted context by Summers <laughs> for the about utopian communities. Oh, good. One, I was like, what is that? <laughs> okay, so one, the Oneida community in New York is my favorite example of one of those situations. We know Oneida for silverware now and like tea kettles and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but originally it was home to this fascinating group of people who believed Jesus had already returned. And so they didn't have to worry too much about getting into heaven because they were already in heaven. Oh, okay. So they had this like communal free love compound set up. <laughs> it was intense. And Sarah Vowell's book, Assassination Vacation, has a whole section on the Oneida community because it was temporarily home to Charles Guiteau, the man who would later assassinate President Garfield. Highly recommend that book. And the audiobook is amazing, too, because... Sarah Vowell uh, reads it, and she was the voice of Violet in The Incredibles. So, like, it's just amazing to listen to. I've never heard of this whole concept. This Please. is a very; these are seem very loosely tied threads that run through all of these, but it's fascinating. Yeah. No, but Liz, you had heard of one because the idealistic themed communities were common, and you told us about Summerland, which is the same kind of thing, just like a themed community oh, okay. based on like a belief system okay. or a. I guess a thing you don't do in the case of temperance colonies. <laughs> so that was episode two. These are more religious based, so like because I, when I think of like temperance, yeah, I think of it as like a religious. Uh, I'll tell you. So that's a great question. <laughs> I'm about to jump into that. Cool. Okay. On to the temperance movement. Temperance was a huge thing in the United States at this time, which is 1870s. And there had been a successful and experimental community in New Jersey called Vineland, which I think is funny because like, <laughs> it sounds like vineyard, but um, founded in the 1860s. And Palo Alto, California, was also a temperance no town. Yeah, <laughs> And that was established around the same time by Jane Stanford, who was co-founder of Stanford University. Huh. Uh, and her husband was governor of California for a while. The Wikipedia article on Temperance Towns just calls her Mrs. Leland Stanford, so I had to look into it, and (laughs) it irked me. So I'm not going to tell you anything else about Leland, (laughs) just out of spite. Uh, Up until the 1800s, alcohol had been totally fine in the United States um, and its territories. You couldn't be, like, super drunk out in public or causing a scene or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, like in your town square. (laughs) But drinking was normal. And hard cider was the thing most people drank. Oh, yummy. And it was like kind of to the opposite of Lompoc. It was even sometimes written into land grants that you had to plant a certain number of apple trees with the implication that they would be used to make hard cider. <gasps> Is that why Johnny Appleseed? Yes. yes. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I I guess. That's I mean, wild. it just puts a different spin on that, yeah. that uh, story. So... Uh, Around the time of the American Revolution, which is, you know, earlier than this, but each person in the colonies was drinking 35 gallons of alcoholic cider per year. (laughs) Um, But when you get into a society more organized around cities and industrialism, you need a working class to be sober so they can operate machinery. (laughs) So the Industrial Revolution had been like kind of a, hey, people who we would like as factory fodder, like, maybe don't drink so much. Wow, that's 
really interesting. Yeah. So, and then as distilled spirits, so like hard alcohol, like gin and whiskey, mm-hmm. got more common, a lot of the social and health issues alcohol causes got worse. So starting in the 1820s, you had a lot of messaging from the temperance movement around like, hey, maybe take it easy and don't drink so much. (laughs) So it was more moderation. Okay. Because that's really what temperance means is like, be temperate in your drinking. It doesn't mean don't drink. Yeah. But then in the 1840s, that turned into the stronger activism that was more like, okay, how about you don't drink at all? And we're also going to push legislation so that you can't drink (laughs) at all. And weirdly, a lot of temperance fans were heavy drinkers. The Washingtonians were a big group around this time that sort of balanced between telling people not to drink and helping people who were already problem drinkers deal with their addiction. So they were a sort of like AA group. They were very similar to AA, actually. Mm -hmm. So temperance people also were generally kind of associated with women's suffrage and abolitionism. Those were like the progressive big three in the mid-1800s. But they were also Christian adjacent (laughs) because most things were. Yeah, sure. And women were often the ones picking up the pieces or getting beaten up or ending up destitute with no way to earn a living in a family struck by alcoholism. So temperance people realized that giving women the vote could benefit them could benefit temperance, which is something you know if you watched Boardwalk Empire, Mm -hmm. which we like the theme song of. Um, (laughs) Excellent show. Let's recommend that one. So that's just some background on that. Back to Lompoc. Lompoc's early days. If you wanted to move to Lompoc in the 1870s, which is when Hollister's land was sold to the Lompoc Land Company, that was the temperance group. Um, And most of the 1880s, you could, but the deed to your land came with a stipulation that you could not manufacture or sell alcohol (laughs) and it was also expected that you wouldn't buy it or drink it but like they couldn't really write that into the deeds or they didn't Um, sign here i know right (laughs) and if you lie like the deed burns up as you sign it (laughs) exactly the temperance society called the lompoc people's union league or actually i think it's the people's union league of lompoc because that's pull the acronym was there to rally around that cause Lompoc grew really fast, probably partly because of the planned nature of the community and the whole temperance thing, which was a draw. Like, it was not, people weren't like, oh, don't drink or whatever. Right. Like, they were, they were like, yeah. Huh. They were really into Not it. everybody, but like, temperance was popular. So, uh, I just can't overstate to you how popular it was, <laughs> even though it sounds completely <laughs> unbelievable now. The initial land offering was through an auction on November 9th, 1874. And 250 people showed up to buy property, knowing they were signing away their rights to make or sell alcohol. Right. And again, making alcohol was, like, almost expected at that time. Like, it was just part of what you did if you had some land. So we're going to talk about what I like to call the bonkers auction by the (laughs) Lompoc Land Company. I was just going to say, they just had one auction for all the land. Yeah, it was, like, one initial auction that just, like, created Lompoc. Wow. I'm sure you could buy land after that. But yeah. So the way the Lompoc Land Company ran the auction was hilarious to me. <laughs> Instead of just, you know, being in one location and putting up a map of all the tracks that were about to be auctioned off, the auction started at the first plot of land no. to go under the hammer. <laughs> and then once that one was sold, the auctioneer would hold up a red flag to identify himself and run, <gasps> carrying the red flag to the next property and the crowd of prospective buyers, which was like 250 people, as I said, would just like run after him. (laughs) And then they'd auction off that one. And then the auctioneer would just leg it to the next property with this flag. How long did this take? All day. (laughs) You know, it would suck if you like 
didn't have if he didn't have a whole lot of money and also were not a good runner. <laughs> we would have been terrible. Oh, terrible. I wonder how many people just bowed out because they were like, I just, just I can't exhausted. run anymore. I'm I don't so know. exhausted. And like, did they have the the plots marked so you could just wait at yours that you yes, wanted? I don't know. Right? Yeah. I don't know. But I think why they, does it have to be a marathon and an auction? I just no idea. Make a map. Draw a rough one. Yeah, the way I would have done it. So they did that for the entire square miles worth of the property being sold that day. And I am a huge fan of it. And I cannot get over it. I've been laughing over it all week. Um, so that auction was in November of 1874. And in an article in the Santa Barbara Independent, awesome local historian Michael Redman said that there were 50 buildings already up in Lompoc by the end of that year. So within two months. Oh, wow. Um, and that's so fast. I mean, I thought it was like, I don't know how long it took to build buildings back then. And we're going to like revisit this. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, it seems fast. Well, yeah. they, build, they build really quick when they're sober. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Gosh. <laughs> and by the first anniversary of the Bonkers Land auction, 200 families lived in Lompoc. Wow. So I maintain that it was quick, quick growth. Um, and that was helped by this man named William Wallace Broughton, who was a judge and newspaper man. I think he was originally from the Santa Cruz area or had been recently from Santa Cruz. And he was determined to attract more people to Lompoc and he had the means to do it. And he specifically wanted people who did not drink and did not want anyone else to drink. <laughs> so we're going to move on to anti-booze vigilante shenanigans. Oh boy. Uh, so by the start of 1875, our dry little baby town of Lompoc is growing nicely but like most places with strict drug and alcohol laws, Lompoc wasn't completely dry because no place ever is. Yeah. The, I don't know what the people of Lompoc are called. I called them Lompocians, but I don't think that's right. <laughs> so if you know Lompoc friends, I mean, of course, you know, tell us what you're called. Uh, probably just people that live in Lompoc. But like, you know, like Lompocers? Philadelphians or yeah. Santa Barbarans or Lompocans. I don't think I've ever called myself a Santa Barbaran. Well... That's just you. Lompocles. <laughs> Lompocles! <laughs> I love that. Okay. The people of Lompoc were still drinking, which is weird to me because they just bought land <laughs> saying they wouldn't. But then if you think about it, like maybe just one person in a family, like the dad or the mom was like super anti-booze and like the sons were like, no way. Sure. You know, I don't know. I don't know. That's speculation. <laughs> yeah. So the anti-alcohol activists of Lompoc were having totally none of that. And they were probably not a vigilante group at this time, but I like to imagine them as one. And they sort of behaved a little bit like one. And oh, and so the alcohol was getting, it wasn't being made in Lompoc at that time, but Lompoc is on a stagecoach road, which we talked about before. And Mm so the stagecoach road had shipments of alcohol going north and south all the time. So, you know, it was easy to just, I guess, buy some Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, in the dark looking around shiftily or something. (laughs) So the teetotalers of the settlement were determined to put an end to selling alcohol in, or just providing alcohol in Lompoc. A group of mostly women did some detective work and traced the source of the booze to the town drugstore, which was called Green's General Store. <gasps> Drama. <laughs> I, I feel yeah. like you can, you can pretty much guarantee that any group of people that like I don't, I mean, I don't want to be like mostly men, but mostly men. Like when, when people are really, really loudly outspoken about how you should live your life uh, and something that you definitely shouldn't do, then most of the time they're doing that thing. Oh yeah, maybe. I don't know. But 
maybe it was like you know affordable and people just needed somewhere to live and they were like yeah i'll, I'll say i'm not gonna do that just yeah maybe. give me some I land really uh <laughs> yeah i didn't find anything on the relative pricing even though i really like to throw that in like we all do <laughs> yeah. um so i didn't i don't know how affordable yeah. it was but but you know people who are like moving i don't know where they were coming from to lompoc but you know, yeah, all over it. Just like, yeah. At that time in California, yeah. If right, because... Like moving for a better life, then... Because yeah. that man, Broughton, was, had newspaper connections, and so, like, hmm. he was advertising it widely. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, no, no, no I don't... No, I, don't I, I hate alcohol. I hate it. <laughs> yeah. Never so, touched it. I know, right? <laughs> but you could be right in that, remember, temperance was popular amongst alcoholics, and so, yeah, that's like, what I mean. it could like, also be, like, you know, maybe there's a a temperance mom and dad is just hopelessly addicted and like actually needs it to not die because alcohol is one of the few kinds of withdrawal that can kill you. I should not have snapped then. I'm, I apologize. Um, (laughs) so, okay. Our anti-booze ladies got together and they went to the drugstore in a mob (gasps) and they smashed every container of alcohol they could find. And it was a lot, a lot of alcohol. Like this is how Mr. Green was making his money. (gasps) There were barrels and bottles and a whole range of types of alcohol. I would like some of the toothpaste you keep under the counter. (laughs) Wink, 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 wink. (laughs) And it was obviously going to be a huge financial hit to Mr. Green, the store owner. Um, So he pulled a gun on the women and he was like, I will kill you, ladies. Whoa. But the women had arranged for backup. And then a group of men followed them in with a rope. Oh. And the Lompoc Valley Historical Society report that I read, which was excellent, said a rope, but I'm assuming it was a noose. Yes. Uh And they were like, Um, So the article that I read said at that point, the druggist immediately laid down his weapons and the women continued their destruction. I wonder how many of those men that came in were like, please don't say you recognize me. I'll get rid of this one. Yeah. They're like, (laughs) pretend you don't know me. Pretend you don't don't know know. me. Um, I've never been to this drugstore before. (laughs) I swear. I know. And I mean, I don't want to give the impression that it was women driving this, but women were the ones who suffered so much. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. they, it seemed like they had more to lose. Yeah, because I, and that was all the way through Prohibition and afterwards, like, a man would lose his job, he'd become homeless and so would his family. Yeah. And, you know, it's horrible. And so this whole thing reminded me of what the women's social and political union suffragists would do a few decades later in England. They would just walk along London streets and smash shop windows to sort of visit financial terrorism on the <laughs> shops in order to convince people, like, okay, we can't afford this. Like, let's give them the vote, you know? (laughs) And a side note, Santa Barbara connection to that, one of my two favorite UCSB professors, uh, Dr. Erica Rappaport, wrote a really interesting book that includes all that about the British suffragists smashing windows. It's called Shopping for Pleasure, Women in the Making of London's West End. And it's still in print and it's worth a read. And uh, Professor Rappaport was just amazing and probably like the reason that I graduated from college. <laughs> so um, we'll put a link on our website. Cool. Which is ghoulsguidetosb.com. As far as I know, nobody's written a book about Lompoc temperance terrorists, which is a shame, <laughs> but I wish they would because it didn't end with this. You should write it. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it could be a short story. I'd have to talk to other humans probably <laughs> to do it. <laughs> I don't want to talk to anyone besides you guys <laughs> or commenters on our YouTube channel. <laughs> Um, Okay, so next incident. In May of 1881, six years later, some of the people of Lompoc really wanted a bar or a saloon uh, in town. So they were trying to just go ahead and build one. 
And they found an existing building to put it in, and a man named George Walker was just like selling whiskey. I love, I love that they all went there for a temperance town. I know. Signed like legal documents saying that they weren't going to drink, and then they were like, you know what, this town could really use a saloon. I know. It's so weird to me. It's um, delightful. But I think probably, you know. You mentioned earlier, like, was it all in that one auction? You could probably still buy land and, like, yeah, other people. You know, it's probably in. growing so fast, yeah. And it's maybe again just like one or two people in a family or a household, mm-hmm. and then you had people, you know, laborers and whatever, because it's a really rural area. Okay, so he was selling whiskey, and the temperance folks held a town meeting and gave speeches to encourage continued temperance in Lompoc. And specifically, they reported on how they had been trying to convince George Walker to see the errors of his ways. But, you <laughs> know, is, alcohol is, is, all, is big, big money. Oh, yeah. That's the, that's the saloon owner. Yeah, okay. the saloon owner. Yeah. And it, it wasn't enough to convince him, of course. But um, <laughs> so at 11 p.m. on May 20th of 1881, the teetotalers put a bomb in Walker's <gasps> saloon and blew it no! up. Oh my, gosh. oh my gosh! I know. <laughs> at eleven o'clock at night. Yeah. Was he open? Were there people there? No. Okay. So, <laughs> I guess saloons weren't open as late as we. I didn't look up what day oh, of yeah, the I week did. this Maybe was. It might have been a weekday, but um, the teetotalers, the sober temperance people, didn't admit it exactly, and they actually sort of gaslit all the alcohol fans in town, and they would be like. Well, what happened? What was that enormous explosion? The oh entire town could hear because the whole town could hear it. Yeah, the saloon blew up. Like that is uh, crazy. <laughs> what are the it must odds? have been an earthquake, or maybe the Russians, like that kind of thing. Uh, the Lompoc Record newspaper at that time ran this weirdly threatening sort of announcement that read. Whether it was done by an earthquake or a nihilist from Russia, it is impossible to say, as no inquest has been held. No one is killed, missing, or wounded. Okay, good. Anyone looking for a location for a saloon had better not select a temperance community where public sentiment is so nearly unanimous against saloons oh, and where earthquakes are so prevalent and destructive. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Like oh, I mean, I, I admire, I admire the <laughs> passive aggression of that, right? So that was the bombing. And then next comes my favorite act of temperance terrorism, because it reminds me a lot of the Pawnee City Hall murals from Parks and Recreation (laughs) of just like horrible events in Pawnee. Oh, no. So two years later in 1883, there was another attempt at selling alcohol in a saloon, this time run by uh, Mr. Drum and a Mr. Davis. Nice names, Drum and Davis. Drum and Davis Saloon. I like it. So the temperance people of Lompoc rioted (laughs) and knocked down the building. Like they didn't. (gasps) Yeah. So. When I saw the name of your thing, Lompoc's Anti-Alcohol Roots, I, mm-hmm. when I first read it, I thought it said riots. So this is oh, well, that, that too. appropriate. That too. <laughs> A group of women led by People's Union League of Lompoc member Mrs. J.B. Pierce. Again. <laughs> <laughs> she runs the organization in, and we for don't. women and she's still just her husband's Lost. name. Yeah. Uh, she went to Drummond Davis and asked them to give up their business. But of course, again, it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, article quote was Drummond Davis refused, declaring that if an attempt was made to run them out of town, they would shoot. The ladies then proceeded to securely fasten a rope around the building with <gasps> the proprietors inside. <gasps> With a mighty tug, they pulled the building from its foundations and dragged it half a block down the street, no effectively way. spilling its contents. So that relates back to how fast things were built at the <laughs> yeah. time. Like they weren't have questions. They weren't like not super yeah sturdy. I was imagine like before you said drag it 
through the town or whatever. Um, I was like, uh, like, cause yeah, originally I'm picturing a big rope around a whole building, but then I'm thinking like, okay, well if you picture like old timey saloons mm-hmm. that have like the balcony yeah, cover, mm-hmm. and so maybe they just looped it around like one of the poles yeah, and then or like pulled the a facade window and down the or one. something like that. But, yeah. so funny. but if they dragged it, the, like physically dragged the building down the yeah. street. That's... <laughs> and they did. What year was this? Uh, 1883. Are there photos? Um, not quite, but okay. there's something better. Like an illustration. There's something better. So uh, again, hate women calling women misses. I'm going to say that again because it sounded like I said I hate women. Uh, again, as much as I hate calling women misses and then their husband's name, I didn't find a name for Mrs. J.B. Pierce, but I did find a description of her as a fierce housewife. So nice. there's that. At the time... The original sort of cover story for this event was that it was a group of men who did this, but somehow over time, I guess it's become clear that it was women. And there was a lawsuit by Drummond Davis against the men of the town who participated in the riot, but the uh, rioters defended themselves by saying it was not a riot, it was a town meeting. (laughs) And they were found not guilty, which slays me. Like, oh my gosh. (laughs) And also tells you like how much sentiment in all areas of... American society were into temperance. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'd like to think that like the men associated with the like maybe the the husbands or you know supporters of those women mm-hmm. were like, okay, well we know that like women will be treated worse than us. So we're gonna be like, oh no, that was us. Yeah, that's what I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the best part of this to me is that today in Lompoc you can go see a mural showing <gasps> the riot and destruction of the building. Oh my gosh. There's um, there's a lot of really cool murals in Lompoc. Totally. So this one was by artist Dan Sawatsky, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. He painted it in 1992 and it is at 137 South H Street on the north side of the building. Okay. I don't that was just <laughs> what I found. I don't know north and south when I'm someplace. So Let's move on from the terrorist sort of temperance era. (laughs) Next, we have like a brief boozy time in Lompoc and then Prohibition and then Jasper's Saloon. So unfortunately for the temperance folks, the no alcohol clauses in the property deeds didn't last beyond Lompoc's incorporation as a city in 1888. So just five years after the (laughs) pulling down of the building. So Lompoc was an increasingly boozy town after that for around 30 years. They even voted to approve the opening of a saloon. And I like that there was voting on it because I feel like maybe someone who wanted to open one was like, could you guys just decide if you're <laughs> yeah. going to destroy it first? Right. <laughs> you know, like, I want to know how big of an insurance policy know, right? to take out. Uh, the boozy time didn't last super long because the 18th Amendment established prohibition in the United States. It was passed in 1919 and then prohibition lasted from 1920 to 1933 again shout Mm. out for boardwalk empire (laughs) and i'm sure a lot of people in lompoc were still there and felt really smug about that but but then immediately after prohibition ended in 1933 lompoc had a saloon again and that saloon is still there (gasps) amazing uh jasper's saloon on h street was founded in 1933 it was well known enough that wc fields mentioned it in a movie called the bank dick (laughs) And I have not watched <laughs> okay. it. In uh, 1940, 
I'm assuming it's Dick in terms of like detective, but I am not sure. And in 2010, Jaspers was on a list of the USA's top 10 dive bars in an issue of Playboy. It was number six. (laughs) Cool. Side note, there was a Jaspers saloon location in Goleta when I was a kid next to the TG&Y on Fairview (laughs) Avenue. And I never went in because I was a child. But I do remember it smelled really weird right outside. Like, kind of good weird. <laughs> I feel like I can picture the logo. Like It was, like, wooden text. on the yeah. outside. Yeah. And I, and yeah, I, yeah. Can't, I can't remember if I'm remembering that one or if I've seen the one in the oh, one. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it was in just, like, a typical, like, 60s shopping center. But they made it look like an old saloon yeah. with, like, wooden yeah. paneling. Really rough wooden paneling on the outside. So I'm kind of considering going to the Jaspers in Lompoc next week to see if it smells the same because I've like (laughs) I can't tell you how often I think about the smell and wonder what it was I don't think it was an alcohol smell I just I don't know maybe like leather and I don't know no it wasn't a foodie smell I don't I don't know yeah it just bothers me but whatever okay so Lompoc today the Lompoc of today doesn't really talk much about its temperance colony past, <laughs> partly because it's now part of a region known for its wine. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it gets tourism revenue from wine tasting and vineyards. And Lompoc is also pretty permissive about cannabis. And it was a little bit of a trailblazer uh-huh, among California cities <laughs> in that way when marijuana was legalized in California oh. in 2016. But according to the Lompoc record, some land deeds in Lompoc still had their anti-alcohol wording until the 1990s, wow. even though it wasn't. It had been found like it just wasn't legally viable to have that. And there was a lot of problems with if the land had passed on, like who is responsible? And if more than one person owns it, like who is responsible? (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder if those are um, particular properties that have been passed down to family members that are still connected to those original land. (laughs) I bet. Yeah. be interesting. And there's still that temperance riot mural downtown. So I love that. I know. So I can't L- wait to see it. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> so Lompoc's past as a planned ideal dry town is still at least a little bit visible. And that's it. That's the story. That's awesome. Cool. <laughs> Thank you for listening to me. I did um, not know about all that. Oh, and I also wanted to say, if any of our listeners grew up in the Santa Barbara area and remember the smell outside Jasper's <laughs> Saloon and you know what it was, like, please leave us a comment somewhere or send an email to ghoulsguidetosp at gmail.com because I am just, I honestly, it's bothered me That's for so such funny. a long time. So I don't know. I'm imagining the smell of outside the Sportsman Lounge on Canon Perdita Street. Oh, which is like this. It's like. Old alcohols, stale cigarettes. It wasn't like that. Though. Well, okay. So at the time, I hadn't ever had alcohol. So uh-huh. I maybe it was an alcohol smell, but I feel like it was more like old wood treatment and leather oh, or like just so- something. Tobacco. It was like very particular. Oh, maybe tobacco too. Like I just, I've never smelled that smell anywhere yeah. else. Oh, interesting. So yeah, that's I'm, my story. Now I'm just picturing a Miller's Outpost. Yeah, it was right here. there. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they, uh. And they used to have old-timey saloon yeah, yeah. fronts up a, on top of the dressing rooms. That's kind of what Jasper's looked like. And yeah. I think the Miller's Outpost was in the spot TG&Y was. What's TG&Y? Yeah. It was uh, just this weird all-purpose store, yeah. but also had some crafty stuff. I yeah, kind of like a, um, a drugstore. Oh, okay. Yeah, and TG&Y is mentioned in a, a song by local band Nerf Herder. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did it stand for something? Oh, probably, probably, but I didn't look that up. You found the hole in my research. <laughs> no, it's probably like like three names of I know. people that like opened it. and right. Young or something. I don't yeah. know what. <laughs> Do we have a question for the Magic 8-Ball? I don't know. I don't know either. Um... 
I mean, we have to because that's what we do. <laughs> I thought you were going to, um, uh, initially when you said you were doing Lompoc, I thought you were going to tell like a variety of just little haunting stories. I was. And oh, then I okay. got onto this tangent okay. and like, Unlike Jen, I just let my tangents <laughs> guide me. And so I did want to do Ghosts of Lompoc because they have like some really cute, stupid yeah. ghosts. Okay, then I'm going to hold off Okay, on my question. But um, but if just anyone wants to hear Lompoc ghosts, ghosts. Yeah, just like little ones, you know, the kind that like they don't really have a name, like a real person's name or anything. Unlike just like a place is haunted Slimer. and hear the stories. Mm. I was going to say unlike in our Lobero episode, but I don't know if that one's out. No, yet. that's um, no, that's not out yet. That's the next one. Oh, next week. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, so, a question for the Magic 8-Ball. Do either of you have one? Do you want to know about Ghosts of Temperance Ladies? Anything? Anything uncertain in the story? I think we should ask the Magic 8-Ball if they actually, like, completely unhinge the building and like, drug the whole building its foundation. the town. <laughs> Was yeah. there even a foundation? I think probably there <laughs> weren't foundations or they or things were just, like, very roughly attached to them. But let's right. ask. Okay. So, did they... Did they actually dra- drag, drag the like whole physical down the building down the street? <laughs> okay. This is a good one to check because we know that they did. It <laughs> is it is decidedly so. Oh, there you go. It's accurate. <laughs> the Magic 8 Ball The Magic 8 Ball. All. Yep. All right. Confirmed, oh, confirmed the information. I love it. Awesome. You heard it here, mural. folks. <laughs> we have some potentially exciting news. Uh, in October, sometime around Halloween, <laughs> we may be doing a live episode on State Street in Santa Barbara, talking about some hauntings or spooky spirits down in that area. So keep an ear out for more information about that coming up. Yeah, Yeah. And thanks for listening to this episode. We'll have a new one out for you next week. Same time, same bat channel. (laughs) Thanks for listening. (laughs) See you next time. Hi, Mom. (laughs) Thanks for listening to The Ghoul's Guide to Santa Barbara. Like and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ghoul's Guide to SB. Our website is ghoulsguidetosb.com. Got a spooky story or know of a haunted or paranormal location in Santa Barbara? Send it to us at ghoulsguidetosb at gmail.com.